Come on. Good morning, church. Open to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, if you have a copy of God's Word, we are going to be kicking off the second chapter. And for those that have been around going through this series of faith works, I don't know about you, but James is one of the the most straight shooting, the most thought-provoking, the most life-assessing book in the entire Bible to step back and ask some questions and evaluate where our hearts are at, and if the faith that we say that we have is alive, if it's active. And today we're going to be looking at this. Everyone equal. Everyone equal. In a day when on every media outlet is talking about equality, right, and our attitudes of tolerance, God has something to say about that. God has something to say. And and he's going to speak right into the, the trials, into the situations of the day. So go with me there. 2,000 years ago, we have Pastor James, the half-brother of Jesus, pastoring a church in Jerusalem. Tons of persecution is arising as the church is exploding with growth. Uh, all of the enemies of the church, the enemies of God are, are rising up just as much. And what we call the diaspora or, or the dispersion People were running for their lives and they were, they were headed to different towns and different cities and they didn't know if they're going to survive. And sometimes they're split up from families. And, and James knew the harder it was getting and being on the verge of that kind of intense persecution, he writes this book and he says, these are the things that I'm seeing. These are the concerns. These are the issues that we need to address because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know if we're going to be together much longer, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen to us. If we're going to live, we're going to die. So he hits on some areas that, that he would say are of greatest importance. And he, he talks about this subject. What is our attitude towards one another, especially those that are, that are maybe different than us or the things that we see in others that maybe we are attracted to or repulsed by, the way that the church treats those that are high up and those that are in low, low places, he's got some words for us. In James fashion, he doesn't mince words. He gets right to the heart of the issue. And so that's what we want to do. We want to dive right in. So if you have your outline, if you have your copy of God's word, paper copy, digital, whatever it is, James chapter two, we're going to get ready for God's word spoken right into our church, right into our situation and be asking maybe some some heart-searching questions about how we see others, how we view others, what our attitude is in welcoming others into the church. So let's pray. Father, we we want to quiet our hearts before you and acknowledge that we we need help. We don't see things rightly. We don't we don't view people with your eyes, with your heart. So would you change us? God, would you make us a church that that sees what you see, and that moves towards people the way that, that you do, Father, and the way that your heart is so open, the way that your hands reach to meet people right where they're at, and to not be fooled by appearances. God, would you help us with our, our motives and what, what drives us in our attitudes, our relationships towards others, especially living in such a divisive day. God, would you bring unity? Would, would we see others the way that you see them, that we are equal, that everyone, everyone being equal at the foot of the cross in your eyes, God, that we would live that way, 
So would you, would you show us amazing things from your word and that we would be doers of this word, not hearers only. And we pray in Jesus' glorious name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Well, let's dive in. Number one, if you're, if you're taking notes, if you're ready, say ready. Here we go, here we go. Stop judging. Stop judging. Distinctions are evil. Distinctions are evil. Let's, let's take a look at these first set of verses, okay? And we're going to do something a little different. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read and provide a little bit of commentary and ask some questions as we go through, okay? So try not to get lost, all right? So you, you better have your nose in Scripture as we, as we go through this. Verse 2, for if a man wearing a gold ring, right? So the, this guy's got bling for days, right? She's bedazzled, whoever it is, coming into the church and wearing what? James says, and has fine clothing, right? Like, whoa, nice suit, bro. You're all done up, girl. Looking fine, looking fine. Welcome to church. Comes into your assembly, shows up to your church service, and he says this. But then but then behind him comes a poor man. Shabby, stankin', rags. What does James say? If, 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 everybody say if. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, oh, oh, you, you sit here. Sit here in a good place, yes. We have reserved seating for guys in suits that ro- roll up in Lamborghinis, right? And Hummers and they're sporting Armani, right? We, we got special places for you. While you say to the poor man, yeah, just like stand over there, right? Get, just get out of view, get out of the way. Don't block anybody's view, we don't have a seat for you. Just stand stand in the back. Hear this. Hear this. What does James say? Have you not then made distinctions? Have you not shown partiality, prejudice, discrimination among yourselves and become judges with, what does he say? Well, it seems like a small thing just to make a snap judgment about people. I mean, it's not a big deal. I'm just being honest. I mean, typically that's the way things fall anyway. And no, he says, this is evil. Evil. The, these thoughts that you have, these attitudes are, are evil. I, I don't know if we would call them evil. Maybe it's just not polite. It's not helpful. He says, this is wicked. This wickedness that is, that is in us. These are, these are weighty words, right? Like, James, take it easy, bro. But hear this. It's not a small thing to God. Therefore, it's not a small thing to James. And it's not a small thing for him to speak this boldly about this particular topic. Apparently, we need to hear this. So he's like, wake up, church. Wake up, church. Evil thoughts. Evil judging. In God's house? Really? In God's house? James is like, this is a problem. This is a problem. We would expect that elsewhere. We would expect that in different areas of society. We would expect people with those kinds of criticisms and discriminatory thoughts. But like, not in, not in God's house, James says. This is, this is an issue. Verse 5. He says, listen. Everybody say, listen. All right, all right. Tell your, tell your neighbor. L- listen, listen. Listen, my beloved brothers, my beloved sisters, brethren. L- listen to this. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? Do, do you not have God's perspective? Do, have you forgotten what God's like? Sometimes people who have nothing trust God because they have to trust him for everything. Heirs of the kingdom. They're heavenly royalty. What he's saying is that there are people that are 
rich and they just they haven't received their inheritance yet. And because you're seeing them in their pre-inheritance stage of life, right, in a season where they, they haven't received all of heaven's riches yet to make snap judgments about what you see in the here and now and you forget, wait a minute, they're going to be filthy rich someday. And for many of them, they know that they're waiting for what's to come, even though they have so little here and now. Do you remember that Jesus said, what, Matthew 6.20, where should we be storing up treasure? Like, store up treasure in in heaven, not, not here and now. And James has his big brother's attitude, right? The heart of Jesus saying, don't be deceived. And what are what people are living for, that's going to come out in the end. But what's your attitude towards them while we interact, while we build relationship, while we welcome one another? James is saying here that the church is, is not seeing from his perspective. Poor on earth, rich in faith, rich in heaven, haven't cashed in yet. And he says this, verse 6, but, everybody say but, here's the problem, here's the problem. You've dishonored the poor man. You've dishonored. The way that you're showing favoritism is dishonoring, is unloving. And that's supposed to be your, your brother or, or a sister that walks in. And when, when God's fam gets together, sometimes they're not living lovingly. When God's fam gathers, sometimes graciousness is not on, a, on our fingertips and on the tips of our tongues. James like, this is, this is serious. This is serious. So fired up that he spends verses just walking through a case study of, like, you've got to hear this and picture this with me. This is such a serious issue. And I'm sure James is thinking, I grew up with my big bro, Jesus, and I know from his childhood, from his, his years in ministry and being able to watch him, like, Jesus never discriminated. He never discriminated. He, did, he didn't show favorites. He, he spoke to the least of these. He spoke to those that, that no one would speak to. He, he spent time with those that the Bible thumpers and Bible teachers of the day were repulsed by Jesus, by watching him interact with those that, that many that knew the word so well would never have been caught interacting, relating with. He, he knew the heart of Jesus, and he's, he's calling a follow follow let's follow in jesus footsteps and he's like here it is in the church in the world sure god's people who got saved from dead religion they got suckered back into more dead religion of the outside appearance and and showing favoritism and how we can make this thing a social club and maximize uh, the financial leveraging instead of actually meeting people where they are seeing them with spiritual eyes what does the end of verse six say are not the rich, and, and here he's, he's going for the jugular, are not the rich ones who oppress you? Th- think about how they treat you. Aren't these the ones that drag you into court, he says? Aren't these the, the, the stingy, money-hungry, the leveraging their power and, and their control? Aren't, they the, aren't these the ones that abuse you? And, and yet, when you think you can get something from them and, and you want to identify with them, then all of a sudden you treat them differently? Can, can we clarify something? Because if we go too far, then it's like, what are you trying to say? James is giving a, a case study, an image of like, here's a scenario, right? He's trying to show some principles from it. James is not saying 
all poor people are rich in faith. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that. Is he saying, well, all rich people are, are just evil, with evil intent, and they're power hungry. Is he saying that? No. But he's saying, you, you look on the outside. You look not with God's eyes. You look with your own fleshly intent. And you do it in God's house, especially. And you do it collectively. Like, we, like you do this together. A culture has been created that is so not like the kingdom of God. It's so much like the world. He's saying this is so, so evil. So evil. So true Christianity and other religions are, are not the same. And if you, you've been around for a few weeks, we've been talking about James comparing real right, religion, right, Christianity, the real thing of following Jesus, of being part of the way with dead religion, with formalities and talk and rules and guidelines that are absent from grace. And there's, there's a lot of law, no, no grace. There's a lot of working and striving and hoping, but there's no resting, right, in what Jesus has done. And so, we're talking about a comparison here that he's saying, this is, this is religious, this is not Christianity. Discrimination, prejudice, I don't know if you, you have this or you want to write this down. Every religion, right? Religion says you get what you earn. Christianity, you get what Jesus earns. Should I say that again? Every religion, as we look around at the landscape of, like, how do I get right with God and and when we say religion, again, we're talking about man-made horizontal efforts to try to get good in God's eyes. You get what you earn. Okay, You get what you earn. Christianity is you get what Jesus earns because it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Everybody say it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. And hopefully we, we are a church that loves grace. Grace to be transformed. Grace to be made new. Not grace as license to live however we want to. Not grace to, to, to make excuses for, right? Not grace to neglect our working out our faith. But grace, the real thing. This is so different, right? This is so different than just what we do and how we view and how we see people. I, I love John. I was, I was in the Gospel of John this week. And John 17 if you want to jot down this address, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that, that you keep them from the evil one and, and from following in evil patterns, we could say. They are not of the world, Jesus says, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word, your word is truth. We can be in this world and we can choose to identify how are we like the world? How are we falling in line with the world's ways and to say, no, God didn't rip us out of the world. He kept us here so that would be light in darkness, that we would be up close and personal, but that we would live so differently. And James says here, one way that the church lives radically different than the culture is this. When you see people uppity up and real, real low, your attitude the way you treat them is so different than what the world does. So radically, so distinct that it might even be overwhelming for the rich not to be pampered 
and so overwhelming for the poor to not feel judged and criticized. Who are these weird people? Where am I? And we would say, welcome to the church. This is the place of grace. This is the place that we may not be comfortable in our flesh with every stripe, right? Every person, every background, but God's changing our hearts so that as they enter in, as we enter in to their world, we see with God's eyes. Our heart is in a different place. And James, James is saying, this is the real, this is the real thing. In Romans 2, or excuse me, Romans 12, uh, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world. He's saying uh, this attitude, this bias and this prejudice and this discrimination, it's, it's of this world. Don't be like that. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what, what God's will is. What is good? What is pleasing? What is his perfect will for how I relate to people? And it's so different than the old way. Ever say it's so different? Oh man, it's so, so very different. Can I say this as a side note? As a church, we would totally reject any kind of discriminatory theology, any kind of theology, any kind of teaching that would have a totally wrong perspective or a twisted perspective about wealth or accumulating about attitudes towards rich or towards poor. And here's two, okay? I, I think it's in your, in your outline. Here's, here's two of them, right? We reject any kind of discrimination and there's entire theologies. One is we reject prosperity theology. I don't know if you're familiar with, if you have enough faith, and if you got the real thing, if your faith is authentic, right? If it's real, then what is your life going to be like? What are you going to experience? You're going to experience prosperity, right? And so like if you sow a little bit of money, you should probably be sitting back and waiting for tenfold, fiftyfold, like it's coming your way. Anybody come across that on TBN flashing, flashing through channels? There are many, many churches. Every say many, many churches. And, and I would even say the fastest growing uh, stream of Christianity happening in uh, Central America and South America and even all throughout Asia and Africa, some of the poorest areas, this theology, prosperity theology, is growing rampantly. And you think about, like, God's offering me health and, and wealth if I would just, like, trust in this Jesus? Of course I want Jesus. I mean, man, if, if, if I can get bumped up a few notches, if I can take care of my whole extended family, if I can cash in on God and get money, cars, wealth, if I can be like the, the preacher that flew in on the private jet, if I have enough faith like him or her, like I want in. And when we turn Christianity into a Ponzi scheme, it's a problem. Everybody say that's a problem. God is not promising blessing in that particular way as an equation that if I give so much financially, I will receive this much. But this is everywhere around the globe. Prosperity gospel. And, and maybe some of you are like, oh, I, I'm, not, I'm not down with that at all. Like, I have more discernment. For some of us, we're a little bit more on the Robin Hood side of, well, rich people are corrupt, and, and those of us that don't have a lot, we're, we're just the victims here. And sometimes, here's the other side of the, the spectrum is poverty theology. I'm the one that is faithful to God. That's why I'm suffering and I'm poor. I'm mistreated. I'm going through these trials financially because I am saying yes to God and I'm not willing to cheat and lie to get my way, right? I'm not going to sleep with whoever to climb my way up the corporate ladder 
I'm the one doing it the right way. I'm following God, and therefore, I'm living a life of poverty. Well, the reality is, just because you're making some sacrifice, just because you're living in a certain way financially, doesn't necessarily mean because you're faithful to God, right? Do you believe that there are ways to be uh, church members and very, very poor or in debt, and it has nothing to do with your faithfulness to God? It might have something to do with your personal choices, Day in and day out, we could say, well, I just believe in this theology that, man, like the, the, the rich are just compromising and I am faithful. And I wish this was just like a theoretical category. And the reality is there are many out there. We're not a victim and we're not guaranteed riches. So the real thing, we all have believed some lies at some point about an entire category of people whether that's sexist, racist, classist, whatever it is, right? Politically, should we go there? No, we should not. All right, we've all been indoctrinated in some way. We've all, there's been things that have been deeply instilled into us. We've had experiences that have convinced us that like those people are always like that and their kind and their type. And we, we all have something, if we're honest, there's always something inside of us and God wants to address those areas of don't let Satan have the upper hand. Don't let the evil that has been planted in to stay, not in the church, not in the church, not in the house of God. And I wonder if we would be honest before, before God and say, I, I want to change because everyone equal, everyone equal. Well, in what way? In what way? Here we go. Here we go. According to the Bible, we are equal. Here's, here's three ways. If you just want to jot some of these down or if you already have them, everyone is equal as image bearers of God. We all were created imaging our God. He created man and woman in his own image. Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here's the reality. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, equally made in the image and likeness of God. That maybe that's not how we feel. That's not our instinctual response. That's not our attitude. But do we believe it's true? Well, hopefully over time, it goes from, I know that Genesis 1, 27 says that, I believe it. I believe it wholeheartedly. And I want to see people the way God sees them. How about this? Number two, everyone is equally fallen. There's not a race. There's not a gender. There's not a class. There's not a kind. There's not a type of people that are not completely and thoroughly sinful. We're equally human. We're equally depraved. Romans 3.23, all, everybody say all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do we believe that? Do we believe all people types, all races? We, we have some, some issues with a lack of this teaching, and it shows up in so many world religions and cults. I don't know if you realize this, but if you would study every other world religion, if you would study every cult, underneath all of the teaching and the half-truths, there is always something, there's always something that is being taught in each one that has an attitude of a superiority and an inferiority of certain people, groups, or types, and different promises to those that would follow their system and their God and so I don't know if we realize that like we, we, we spent years out in Utah and the world's largest cult. And if you dig into Mormon teaching, the, 
Latter-day Saints, the LDS Church, uh, they're the, the heartbeat of their religion is that they believe that Ham, we have, we have three sons of, of Noah, there was a curse, and now we have Ham is the African race, and they are a cursed people across the world because of Noah's family and what happened. There is now an entire stream of race that is condemned by God. If you think about Islam and their attitude about the infidel, anyone that is not part of us, like we can kill them in the name of Allah, and Allah will be glorified, right? And Muhammad the prophet proclaimed many things about those that were not part of their particular race and their particular class and their particular religion. So it is a, we are superior, everyone else or particular races or classes are lesser than. And all of this is being done in the name of God, and it's all done under the umbrella of religion. I say that because I wonder how appalling that is, right? That like we hear things like that and go, that's disgusting. Well, what James is saying is, church, it's in us too, and it's equally disgusting. Right? He calls it evil because it's evil. And it may not show up the same way, and it may not be as obvious. But for us, do we believe everyone equal? Everyone equal. God is Father. We are His kids. All can be saved. All can be rescued. He doesn't play favorites. No prejudice. Our Father our Father desires to change us, I believe. Our Father cares so much that we would see with his eyes and have his heart that he'd be willing to address those areas in us, in me, in you, where in the back of our minds that we think certain, we have certain snap judgments as we interact with people, as we think about those. And can we get really specific? As we, as we think about people we interact, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Sunday night, whether it's Wednesday night, that as we think about what type of church do we want to be, what, what kind of class or demographic do we want to see grow in our church, if we're not careful, we do have great prejudice about, well, if our church ends up being like 50% blank, or if certain people of a certain class or race begin to fill our church, I'd feel like it's not my church anymore, and I'd feel like maybe I would want to find a church that looks a little bit more like me and thinks a little bit more like me. Do you think that happens? Do you think that happens in, in the church in America? Is Sunday morning not the most segregated hour of every week? Of like, really? It, well, there's the black church down the street, and then on the other side of town, there's the Hispanic service that they're having, and the, the upper-class white is, is on the other side of town and and like that really rough church down the road that's trying to reach like inner city. That's the church. Do you think James has something to say about that? Do we believe that it, it breaks God's heart when we are not pressing into the differences that we see and experience and say, God, send me in with your eyes. I want to see your way. I want to see what you see. I want my heart to be open wide to those that you are bringing to us and to those that I'm being sent to reach. 
And God, help us to be a multi-ethnic, multi-demographic, multi-generational church. And that we wouldn't be comfortable with, I need more people just like me that vote like me and think like me and look like me. That's not the kingdom. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be really, really upset that God would let those people in. We're going to spend eternity with people that are nothing like us and are so different. And he says, my kingdom, my kingdom on earth, may it be like it is in heaven. May we be that church. May we be a church that thinks like that. I I, I wrote some of these things down. Wherever Christianity has spread across the world throughout the centuries, equality has flourished. Education, healthcare, slavery, abolished, racial equality, transformation of ghettos, generous upper class changing their entire priorities. The early church, slaves, get this, slaves and elders became deacons over their slave owners. That was happening in the early church. Like mature slaves, radically saved, were rising up in leadership. And guess who was also in the back pew? Their owner, their boss. Do you you think that caused some problems in the early church? But they worked through it. They worked hard through it. Some victories, some division. William Wilberforce rallied British Parliament passionately, relentlessly for almost two decades almost going insane because of lack of sleep, passionate about ending slavery and racism because of what? Biblical convictions. And he was a rich white guy that, like, he shouldn't even been part of the fight. He shouldn't even have cared. But do you know what he was reading? Ah! He's reading the same book that you're holding in your hands. And he's like, I can't live for anything else. I can't shut my mouth. This is what I need to spend my power, my authority, my money, This is where it needs to go for those that don't have a voice. That's awesome. Everybody say that's awesome. Jesus lover. Love it. Civil rights movement. Guess who led the way? Preachers from pulpits. Martin Luther King, preacher. Jackie Robinson, not just awesome baseball player, but passionate Jesus follower to see his position, his place, his differences to bring people together. Most of us know about Rosa Parks, right? Yeah, she has hushed that fuss. She ain't sitting in the back of the bus, right? The poor that are being abused, right? Those that are minorities being ostracized. And she read what book? She read the Bible. What else did she read? She read James chapter 2 and said, "Ah, this is not right. And I'm going to take a peaceful stance even at the cost possibly even of my life, and she didn't know, right? We value those who are born. We value those who are yet to be born. That's radical. Racism, unbiblical thinking. People are part of a lineage of animals and evolution. Where are we at, church, thinking about what is being propagated as truth when theories are racist at the core? And I know you're asking yourself, why did we start in verse 2? Don't we preach all of the Bible? Don't, don't we, like, we don't pick and choose what verses we're going to preach, right? So why do we not cover verse 1? Do you want to go there? First, yeah, well, I was like, I, I can't cover all seven verses. That's way too much. 
verse 1. Let's head there right now. And let's think, let's think about this. This is, this is so powerful. Point 2, verse 1. I don't know what you think the solution is, but here we have, my brothers, show no partiality. If you're taking notes, start worshiping Jesus is glorious. Start worshiping Jesus is glorious. And he says this, don't show partiality. Don't show prejudice. We are together in this. And then, this is the best part. This is how he ends. Why should we show no partiality? You hold the faith in our Lord, the King Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of glory. 275 times glory is brought up in the Bible. Glory belongs to one. One person alone. There is one seat, right? As we think about the image of, well, the rich being brought to the reserved seating, right? And the poor kind of getting kicked to the side. Our king, King Jesus, he's on his throne. There's only one seat that we should be concerned about. Not the best seat for those that can provide us with the most financial kickback and and that we can rub shoulders with someone of great importance. He's saying, your focus, your obsession needs to be, there is a king and he's on his throne and that seat is where your eyes should go. Less on where people are sitting and who deserves what and what order and who the priority is, rich or poor. He's saying this, glory, glory to be observed in the ruling, reigning king. It doesn't matter where you sit. It doesn't matter where anyone else sits. It matters where King Jesus is sitting. And where is he sitting? He's on the throne and he's ruling over the rich and the poor. He's ruling over all of our differences, all the discrepancies. And he's saying, be one. Come under the rulership of King Jesus. This is so awesome. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of glory. And could we say this? All conflicts are ultimately glory wars. There is so much at stake. Every time there is a battle, a fight, a comparison, there's tension, there's strife, there's glory that's at the center of it. Who's going to be right? Who's going to be on top? Who's going to overcome? Who's going to be the better one? Who's more important? And I hope we walk away this morning and we say, there's one that's important. All of us are equal underneath. King Jesus. His glory is over all, and we are all at the foot of the cross. Equal. Everyone. Equal. Let's land the plane. Everybody say, land the plane. Here we go. For us to ask this question, first of all, who's the king? Who's the king? And we may know in our minds, and we may know from reading the word, I know who the king is. But as you go into this week, I want you to ask the question, who's my king? Because I can know who the king is. But the king may not be my king. The throne that he sits on in heaven, does he reside on the throne of my heart every day? Not my will, not my way, not my timing, not my voice be heard, not I have a better idea and I deserve, I'm entitled to, but for the church to be the church, to experience the real thing that every single one of us would say, it's not about me. It's not about what I have or don't have. It's not about what they have or don't have. It's not about what we look like, where we're coming from. It's about that we are all made in the image of God. We have all fallen short. 
Jesus is offering redemption to all of us equally. And on that day, we will all bow the knee equally. And He will rule and reign for all eternity. And it will be final. And until then, may His heavenly kingdom be our experience in little bite-sized pieces, little snapshots. God, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom right here. Build it. May Your church look like it does in heaven that we would see each other the way we're going to view each other for all eternity. Fully image bearers, fully fallen, fully redeemed. We're together. We're together.